saying, you must be wondering what I'm doing here. <laughs> Pastor Bob is uh, taking a small uh, vacation with his family. And like they say, when the cat is out, the mice get to play. <laughs> uh, very good morning to everyone. Welcome to our service here. Uh, today, we're going to uh, take a look. Last week was Mother's Day. And so I was trying to ask the Lord what to preach about. And uh, there's this beautiful story in the book of Genesis of Rachel. You know, she's one of the matriarchs. You know, she's key in helping the nation of Israel be founded through the children that she produces. And so there's this beautiful story that we see in Genesis 29 and 30. And then we're going to take a look at Rachel's life. The beauty about how God's word talks about a person is that God's word is truth. And so when it talks about any person, male or female, it gives us the whole picture of their life. And when I say the whole picture, I don't mean it tells us every single thing they did, but it gives us the whole character, the rounded image, what's and all. It talks about the strengths of a person, what they do right, their faith journey, how they grow in the Lord. And it also talks about some of their weaknesses and how the Lord works with weak and sinful people to ultimately achieve his purposes. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, oh, that's right here. Cool. So if you can, let's turn to Genesis 29. And uh, we're going to be walking through the story. And uh, so you can have your scriptures with you. The scriptures are going to be posted up here too. So at the start of the story, I want to give you a little bit of background. We all know the great love story between Jacob and Rachel. Jacob is running away from home. He's obviously cheated his elder brother. He's afraid for his life. And then he, he goes to his uncle Laban and finds this beautiful daughter of his, his youngest daughter. He instantly falls in love. You know, and you know, they say even thieves and murderers can fall in love. And uh, Jacob is a conniving person, but there are several great things about him which make him a patriarch. But he falls in love with this beautiful girl, and uh, he agrees for, to work for seven years to marry her. And the Bible says those seven years went like a breeze. You know, uh, All of you have an experience of falling in love, and you know what that means. And so, But at the end of the seven years, his uncle plays, pulls a fast one. And it's Leah who actually gets married to Jacob. Jacob believes it's Rachel, but it turns out that uh, his uncle switches the girls out, and Jacob ends up marrying Leah. And the Bible says something about Leah was that she wasn't as attractive as her younger sister. Uh, and so right, right off, we see that she's at a natural disadvantage. Number one, she's not pretty. Number two, Jacob wasn't attracted to her. He was attracted to a younger sister. And number three, uh, Jacob didn't get into this marriage knowingly. He was forced into this. So talk about having a hard start in life. And so, but Leah chugs along, and uh, she tries to win her attention and gain the love of her husband. And the whole saga, and it's going to be a mixed story. You're going to see highs and lows, but uh, ultimately, it's a great battle that ensues between both the sisters. But more about that in a few moments. What happens is that Jacob is obviously unhappy that he got married to the wrong woman. Uh, Laban tries to coax him into saying, that's OK, this is our culture. And he says, work for seven more years, and I'll give you Rachel. And he agrees. But luckily, he doesn't make him wait for seven years to marry Rachel. He gets him married a week later. And so you see, Jacob has two wives in a week. You know, Just in one week, he's got two wives. And it's obviously a complicated family. 
family dynamic. I'm sure the sisters aren't seeing eye to eye. And I'm sure Rachel isn't happy that she has to share her husband uh, with her elder sister. Polygamy is, was common in those times. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that was uh, the, the original plan of God, but it was how the culture was moving. But Rachel was really in love with Jacob and Jacob too. And they were really looking at this great relationship to start off and have this great life together. And uh, things didn't turn out the way they expected. And so that's what we want to see at the start of this. And th this, for this message, we're going to just focus on the life of Rachel and see how she journeys in faith. And there are some key things that happen to her and something she does. And then she grows and uh, comes into a greater understanding of trust in God. But more on that later. So we're going to look at the life of Rachel. The, like we said, the, the pericope is from Genesis 29, verses 31 till chapter 31, verse 24. And that's a neat section. Uh, the Bible didn't have chapter numbers and verse numbers when they started off. It was, uh, it was one continuous story. But this story is how Jacob actually starts off and builds his family and his dynasty. One thing we have to remember was Jacob was no ordinary man. He was someone who had inherited the promises that God gave his grandfather, Abraham. And he was someone who was a really key player in God's design, not only for Israel, not only for his immediate family, but for all of humanity. In him, in Jacob, were riding the promises that one day, through Abraham and Abraham's descendants, the whole world was going to be blessed. And it doesn't, it doesn't mention in the, in the Bible, in their story, but I can imagine Jacob and, and Rachel uh, you know, in those seven years that he was working hard for her, he would have told her his story, why he was running away from uh, his father and his brother, what was it that made him do what he did, you know, cheat his brother, the promises that he inherited, and all the story of his grandfather Abraham. And Rachel would have been excited. Who wouldn't want to marry a man who had such great promises uh, that were lined up for him? The children they would have would go on to bless the whole world. And so this is just not any ordinary mere marriage. This is really the founding of the nation of Israel. Rachel has married the patriarch Jacob, and through her and through her sister, the initial tribes of Israel are going to be built. And so you can obviously see Rachel isn't really happy with the fact that she has to share that privilege with her elder sister. Leah, on the other hand, uh, is lucky that she gets grafted in in terms of that. But as we're going to see, it seems to be that God's hand was there in the fact that she joins in too on this journey. So the, we start off with the opening of Leah's womb, and we're going to walk through this, and then we end with the opening of Rachel's womb. And in between the start of their marriage and the end of our talk today, we're going to see this section where the two sisters are really going to go at, it, go at each other. They're really, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, well, that's a movie in which... Uh, but the fact is they're going to do all they can to undermine each other's journey and undermine what God is doing in their lives. It's actually a sad picture, but some of the background helps us understand why they had such uh, ant antagonistic nature towards each other. And so when we start off, the, this section is all sometimes called as the dueling pregnancies, you know, because both these sisters are jostling for Jacob's attention. Not only the, Leah wants Jacob's love, Whereas Rachel is looking for children. You know, she wants children for the marriage. Both these women are going for different things from the same guy, and Jacob is caught in between. And uh, so we're going to look at how that starts off. It's called the dueling pregnancies. But 
You know, all of us have uh, had times in life where uh, we know that God has put something in our heart which is from Him. You know, we have God-given dreams, God-shaped uh, dreams, that visions that we want to do something for the Lord. But, you know, most of us uh, know that not everything turns out the way we want it to. God is faithful in doing what He's promised, but what it might look like in my life and yours might be different. His timing is different. His means are different. His methods are very different. And oftentimes, it's not what we expect. And in the intervening gap between when God promises us something and when it actually happens, there's a long period of waiting sometimes. There's silence from God. There are a series of circumstances that come up which threaten to steal the promises that God has given us. And it's a great journey of faith where we see that we have to hold on to the fact that what God has promised, He will deliver. And so Rachel starts off this journey in the fact that she is looking at this great life with Jacob, but the first great setback for her is that her sister enters the marriage. And obviously we see Jacob is not interested in Leah, and he's not even, he doesn't even shy away from showing her his disdain for her. And that's where our story begins in chapter 29, verse 31. Rachel and Jacob are off doing their own thing while Leah is being neglected. Jacob doesn't love her. Leah knows that. Rachel is not happy sharing the marriage with Leah. And so we see Leah isolated. She's obviously discouraged. Uh, she isn't good looking. And she has so many things she's struggling with. And that's where we start off. Uh, today's talk is going to be divided into two major sections. The first one is how not to get God's blessing. And the second section is how to get God's blessing. And there are many ways in which we inherit the blessings of the Lord. But we're going to focus on Rachel's life and see how we shouldn't be going after God's blessings. And then we're going to look on how she did the right thing towards the end and got God's blessings. And so the first point would be how not to get God's blessings. And that would be by faithless scheming. I told you about the dueling pregnancies. It seems that Rachel was really scheming and trying all she could to get what only God could give her, that was children. And oftentimes in life, when things don't go our way or we feel that this is rightfully ours, but it's been denied to us, either unfairly or even with matters of time and circumstance, the temptation for us is to take matters into our own hands and try and fix things and try and do what only God can do. And sometimes, uh, and sometimes that gets us in worse trouble than where we started off with. And I want to, right off the bat, I want to tell you that the Bible talks about being proactive. God doesn't want us to be passive in his story. He wants us to stretch. He wants us to endure. He wants us to go after the things that he has with all our heart, mind, and soul. But what the Bible is against is doing it without faith, trying to do it on your own strength not, and, not, and without God's blessing. And that's what Rachel is doing, and we're going to look at that. Let's look at some of the things. I said, chapter 29, verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. And so we see a divine act of mercy. As is not uncommon in scriptures, God goes out to bat for the one who is not loved. God goes out to bat for the downtrodden, the one who is neglected. And God miraculously opens the womb of Leah. She's, God gives her grace to bear children, whereas Rachel, who is really the one with, in, in the worldly sense, she has everything going for her. She's not only good looking, she has the affections of her husband. She has everything going for her, but God decides in a divine act of judgment that she would remain childless. And uh, we see the reason was that Leah wasn't being shown affection. They were really not treating her the way God would have wanted her to be treated. Uh, what does Rachel do, you know? In, in Middle Eastern culture, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure in every culture in some way, 
when you get married, every woman and man wants to have children, you know. And it's just a natural thing for you to be fruitful, bear kids, and it's a beautiful way for your marriage to continue. But in the ancient Eastern culture, it was all the more so, you know. Most of, uh, at least for women, the identity was tied a lot with their childbearing. You know, if you didn't bear children for whatever reason, you were looked down upon. And it was a huge issue of cultural prestige also that if you were a barren woman. And so you have all this cultural baggage riding too, her sense of worth, her sense of identity. Rachel seems to be struggling now. Those things, you know, she must have thought she has everything covered. She has the look. She has the love of the husband. She finds this beautiful man. But at the end of the day, none of that seems to be working in her favor. And the fact of the matter is that the Lord has chosen to favor her older sister. And uh, so what does Rachel do? How does she react when she finds out that this is what's happening? Chapter 30, verse 1 says that when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? So we see the very first thing she does is that she responds and reacts with jealousy and anger. And we're going with the theme, the first point that I said, uh, we, were we were talking about what not to do you know, to get God's blessing and faithless scheming. One thing is to, when God denies us something, God doesn't want us to turn around and be jealous or angry at people who have what we are looking for. And that's, that takes some amount of spiritual maturity. Uh, not all of us have it. All of us are growing in it. I definitely don't. I struggle with this a lot. But God doesn't want us. God is not pleased with this attitude. And he wants to help us to grow and learn and be humble and gracious while we are in that process. So we see jealousy and anger. Now, we need to remember that it was the Lord's plan for uh, Rachel not to bear kids. And so Jacob is right in pointing out the fact that it was a divine act of judgment. He can't do anything. If she has a problem, she has to go to God for it. Uh, but instead of treating, entreating the Lord's favor, you know, if the Lord opens her sister's womb, maybe if she entreats him, he can open her womb too. But Rachel doesn't, uh, either she believes that God can't do that or she thinks her fate is sealed. Nevertheless, the Bible doesn't record her seeking the Lord's favor for this. Rather, we see she responds with jealousy and anger. She lashes out at her husband instead of entreating God for his mercy. She looks to her husband to fix her problems and things go bad. You know, Jacob is, just tells her the truth that, you know, unless the Lord loves her, there's nothing he can do. And so that's one of the rare times we see Jacob actually angry. And unfortunately, it's with the one that he loves so much. And so that's the first point that we want to re remember, that we ought not to respond to jealousy and anger. That's not a good way to bring God's blessings into our lives. So at the end of round one, and we're going with the theme of dueling pregnancies. <laughs> and so Leah has four kids and Rachel has none. And you see, Leah is really blessed and she's blessed with fertility. She has four children, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. These are names you all remember. These are the tribes, the future tribes of Israel. And so we see history starts to unroll and fall as we see the first four tribes of Israel are out. And we see that Leah has four, four kids to her name while Rachel is still childless. So obviously being angry or being jealous or looking to your, her husband or looking to human ways is not going to help her to get what she wants. You know, she's still on zero. 
What, what does she do next? And now, now I wish this would stop here and we would move to the second point immediately where we see a change in Rachel's character. But all of us know and we, all of us know that spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight. You know, a lot of times we try many things before we actually realize what the Lord wants us to be doing and before we submit to his plans. And it's true of me, it's true of you, it's true of Rachel too. And Rachel, uh, a lot of commentators, when you see the whole story of Rachel, they believe there are so many similarities between Rachel and Jacob in terms of their personality. Both of them are go-getters. You know, they want to do things the way they want to do. If things don't work out, they are more than happy to try and fix things and be conniving and manipulating. It's hard not to see how both of them got along so, so well. Uh, and so she's just doing uh, what she can do in her power to fix her situation. And again, uh, we're not talking about uh, not being resourceful. The Lord doesn't want us to be passive. Uh, you know, this, if, if, if you're childless, there is nothing wrong in seeking all the help you need. And you need to do it aggressively, and you need to do it in a way that is God-honoring. But you need to be proactive in that process. That's not what we're talking about. The problem here was different. The Bible is very clear that it was a divine act of judgment that had closed Rachel's womb, and a divine act of mercy that opens Leah's womb. And so when we know that it is the Lord who is doing it, one has to go back to the Lord to find mercy and help in our time of need. And we see Rachel does everything except that for a long time. And so we're not dealing with just a genetic problem, a natural biological problem. It's a spiritual issue that's at hand here. And we're looking at how she tries to fix the spiritual issue with different ways. Uh, next, what does she do next? You know, you'd think she'd pray and go to the Lord, but uh, she says that she goes to Jacob and says, then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Uh, sleep with her so she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. That's a different translation. The next thing she does is she tries to manipulate Jacob to build a family. Now, you know, having surrogate mothers in, in the ancient Near Eastern culture wasn't really something but what she was doing here is, like I said, it was a spiritual issue. The Lord had closed her womb, but she was trying every physical way to fix that problem. And she invites her servant maid and makes her Jacob's wife. And uh, this should remind us of some other story in the scriptures, you know, of, of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, I also want to point out the fact that there's a lot in common between the three matriarchs in the story of Israel. Sarah is barren for a long, long time before she has one child. Uh, Rebecca, her, her daughter-in-law, is barren for a long time too, before Isaac prays to the Lord and her womb is open. So barrenness in the line of matriarchs isn't a new thing. It's part of their, their history. And it's, it's part of their history because the Lord wanted to show everyone that this great nation of Israel, which the whole world is going to come to know and know it's the Lord's people, came about through barren women because of the Lord's intervention. It was the Lord who was responsible for raising this great nation and not a natural act between a man and a woman. And so barrenness shouldn't have been as disconcerting to her. She had the history of Sarah and Rebecca riding, and she would have known that the Lord was able to make a barren woman fertile if he pleased so, and she could have sought his favor. But she does what Sarah does in her desperation and gives her, uh, gives her bill, her, her servant maid. Uh, so this is what we see. Her sterility was a result of her envy and oppression towards her sister Leah. But what happens? The result is she is able to have two children through her servant maid. And you see two of them come in, Dan and Naphtali. Naphtali is a word that says, you know, it shows the rivalry that she has with Leah. It says, I have fought a battle and I have won. And so she thinks that, you know, having a second child through the surrogate 
try to kind of levels the playing field with my sister. But as with any human means of getting forward, you know, if I can do it, you can do it too. So what happens? The unintended consequence is Leah is able to match her sister's children, and she offers her own maid, Zilpa, to, to Jacob to have kids, and they have two more kids. So whatever advantage Rachel had, she loses, because Leah has two surrogate children too. And that brings us to round two. Leah is six and Rachel is two. And those two aren't her kids. So things are clearly not going in favor of uh, the matriarch, Rachel. And uh, she resorts to manipulation. It doesn't help her. She's still where she started. She has two kids, but they are not hers. They are surrogates. What happens next? Uh, we're going to have a look at two more places where she tries to play her hand and try to manipulate God. And then we're going to move to the last point. It says that a peculiar thing happens while during all this rivalry is that during the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, you must be wondering what mandrakes are. <laughs> Unless you're a botanist, you must be wondering what mandrakes are. Well, let me tell you. Mandrakes were no, are known aphrodisiac in the ancient Near East, and they were supposed to be a cure for infertility. And so for Rachel, just coming out and watching Reuben bring these mandrakes and go by, she must have been thinking, man, this is the answer to the problem that I have. Perhaps my infertility can be cured through these herbs, or these plants and the fruit. And so she, she strikes a bargain with Leah. You know, she strikes a bargain with her sister. Obviously, their dad is Laban. He's a master bargainer. He can even, he outsmarted even, even Jacob, the deceiver. And so he, both the sisters are also good. They strike a bargain. Leah, obviously, is looking for Jacob. At this point, Rachel is desperate. All she wants is kids. And so we see that they strike a bargain. Uh, Jacob is exchanged so that Rachel can have these mandrakes. But what happens? You know, the plan backfires. You know, you, you might have seen this coming. Mandrakes, she takes the mandrakes, but unfortunately, the one who has the mandrakes, that is Rachel, bears no children. You know, she just doesn't bear any children in spite of the fact that she goes with this. But Leah, on the other hand, is the one who gives the mandrakes away, has three more children. So the story is really, really going in a different way. Things are not really panning out for Rachel at all. But the Bible is clear to mention that it isn't the mandrakes or any such thing that makes Leah bear three more children. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says, the Lord heard Leah and opened up her womb so she could have more children. You see, temporarily after the birth of her first four children, we aren't told right then what happens, but the Bible says Leah just stopped bearing kids, uh, bearing children. And so what happens is that from then until now, Leah, for whatever reason, isn't able to bear children. But it says that in this time, when she actually gets Jacob for a night, the Lord listens to her prayer. It seems that Leah is still struggling, still trying to win the affection of her husband. And it's so beautiful when I see the names of the children that she has. She has the Lord in most of them. The Lord has seen, the Lord has heard, the Lord has answered. The Lord is to be praised, that's Judah. And so you see a beautiful relationship that she has with the Lord. And she, you know she's at a natural disadvantage. And sometimes natural disadvantages can make us give us spiritual advantages. When you know that there is nothing that you can do 
to fix your situation. Your eyes are always on the Lord. And when the Lord delivers, you're more than happy to give him the praise and the glory. And so you see that she is disadvantaged on the natural level, but on the supernatural, she demonstrates a great faith in the Lord. And she acknowledges that her children and her childbearing capabilities are from the Lord and not from herself. Rachel, on the other hand, is still trying all she can in her natural self to bear children. And she doesn't seem to be grasping the beauty of what God is doing in her sister's life yet. Uh, so we see that God hears Leah. Again, round three, Leah is nine and Rachel is two. You know, as things are progressing really fast and the, nation, the tribes of Israel are really panning out, but Rachel has, still has no children to her name. And it must have been obviously disconcerting for her at this point, you know, to, not to have children and everything is going against her. And hopefully she's kind of learning and growing and trying to understand what's happening. But I want to bring you, so we've looked at jealousy and anger, we've looked at manipulation, and we've looked at the mandrakes. I finally want to bring you to one last point, one last way in which we see Rachel did the wrong thing, how not to get God's blessing, how she was scheming faithlessly and trying to get the attention of Jacob. Turn with me to chapter 30, verse 15. We see when Rachel asks Leah for the mandrakes, Leah retorts, and in a really harsh way, she says this, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? And this is Leah. Leah is accusing Rachel of this. Will you take my son's mandrakes too? You should note the tone. The tone is harsh. Obviously, the sisters aren't on good terms. But she accuses Rachel of stealing Jacob from her. Now, we know that obviously Jacob's affections were firmly with Rachel. But we do know that for whatever reason, Jacob was, God was in this. Jacob was still bearing children through Leah. So what was it that she was accusing her of? I want to turn your attention to the fact that Leah stops bearing children on chapter 29, verse 35. That's the time when she bears four male children, and then she stops. The word says she just stopped bearing children. Again, when she gives her servant maid to Jacob in response to what Rachel did, Leah says, since I have stopped bearing children, I'm going to give, her Zilpa, give Jacob Zilpah. So obviously, in the plot, for some reason, Leah isn't able to bear children through Jacob. Uh, but it cannot be something about fertility or age, because she, is, she bears three more children here uh, in chapter 30, 17 to 21, which we just saw. So what is the issue? And we know it's a supernatural issue here that the Lord enables her to bear children. But there could be more to what's happening here. And the answer can be found in, in the verse that we just looked at. In verse 15, she says, you took away my husband. And what we understand when we put all these pieces together is somewhere between the time when Leah had her fourth and final son. At that time, Rachel made sure that Jacob no longer had access to Leah. You know, she was able to bind his heart to him and make sure that Jacob didn't have access to perform his marital rights with Leah. And so somewhere between that time, Rachel was so frustrated with the fact that her, her sister was having so many kids and she had none that she did, she went to the last resort and did what she could only do. She had access to Jacob, she had his heart, and so she used that as influence to make sure that, that Jacob would never go again and be with Leah. And so that's what we see. Leah has stopped bearing children because she was not, Rachel wasn't allowing Leah access to Jacob. And kind of that's like the last ditch effort. And uh, 
by the looks of most of us, and even I, while I was reading this story, this is, is the, I feel this was taking it a little too far. You know, the Bible affords us conjugal rights to each partner in the relationship. We aren't supposed to deny each other when it comes to the marital relationship and conjugal rights. But Rachel was using what she had to her advantage and denying her sister a privilege of having children by withholding Jacob to that. Now we can fault Jacob on that, that he was so passive in this whole story. He almost doesn't seem to be saying anything or doing, <coughs> excuse me, doing anything. But the fact of the matter is Rachel shouldn't have done what she did. So Rachel's principle or her strategy is if she was not going to have children by Jacob, then she was not going to allow Leah to have that privilege either. And so in some way, she was trying to monopolize and have a monopoly over Jacob. And so that's the last thing we see after the mandrakes. She exerts a monopoly over Jacob and makes sure that she controls him in a way that he is not effective to bear children with Leah. Again, round three, we see, we've see we seen that none of this works. The final tally at this point of the story, Leah has nine kids to her name while Rachel has two. And that was monopoly. We've seen that. We've looked at how not to get God's blessing, and that's by faithless scheming. What we do need to look at is how to get God's blessing. You know, when we see the story of Rachel, it's easy for us to sometimes think that, well, that's just the way it would have gone. You know, people do what they do. But what about my life and your own life? You know, have we been at times guilty of trying to take things into our own hand? and not seek the Lord's favor in what we do? Are we trying to win our way uh, in this world, win the affections of people by resorting to some of the tricks that Rachel tried? Are we trying to manipulate people? Is our jealousy and anger controlling a situation or a relationship instead of the fact that our trust in the Lord and a faith in Him which results in a humble, generous spirit taking control? You know, all of us have these flaws, and these are questions we ought to ask ourselves. The reason we have this story written for us is not only to show us the history of the nation of Israel and through which Jesus comes, the Messiah, but also for us to see the mistakes that people in the past, spiritual people in the past have made and remind ourselves and take heed and not do what they were doing. And so there is a purpose behind these stories for you and me beyond the fact that it describes the foundation of the nation of Israel. So we've seen how not to gain God's blessing. Now let's look at how to get God's blessing. And you get God's blessing by faithfully submitting to him in all things. You see, we've seen how Rachel and the, and the Bible builds the story up because Rachel has tried everything she can and still she can't get what she really wants. And now we're going to see a turn in events. If you remember, I said the story starts with Leah's womb open, being opened up, but the story ends with Rachel also bearing children. But let's look at how that actually happened. We're going back to our discussion here. You remember that in chapter 30, verse 15, Leah wasn't allowed access to Jacob through because of Rachel. And so, but the bargain that they strike was for how many days? It was just for one night, right? They said mandrakes for one night. But Leah ends up having three children through Jacob and not one. So the matter behind the fact is that uh, the, the fact is that. Leah was able to get more access to Jacob than what she bargained for. But how is that possible? Don't we know that uh, uh, 
do you think Leah was so covert she was able to you know fi find her way around Rachel and Rachel's hyper vigilance? I don't think so. We've seen that Rachel has a monopoly over Jacob and she really doesn't want to give up on that. Rachel is this really hyper vigilant person and she knows what her husband is up to. Leah doesn't seem to be so conniving as her sister at least in how she goes about life. So the fact of the matter is it's neither. It isn't Leah who's become so covert she's able to spend time with Jacob without Rachel's, uh, you know, not being found out by Rachel. The fact of the matter is, for some reason, Rachel lets go of her access to Jacob. Rachel is okay with Leah having access to her husband. We aren't told of any future bargains or deals. The only thing that we can tell from what we see is that for whatever reason, Rachel has just given up. Rachel, in the final days of her crises with infertility, her sister has nine children, she has two from a surrogate. She's growing older, it takes at least a year between, you know, for you to have a kid and then start on the other cycle. And so it's been years now she's been without children. She's tried every trick in the book, but it seems that Leah seems to be getting all the benefits and not her. And it must have been a really stinging rebuke for her when she took the mandrakes, but Leah was the one who got pregnant. So for whatever reason, at this stage in the game, Rachel seems to be receding. She seems to be giving up on her conniving ways. Uh, Leah gets unfettered access to Jacob because Rachel gave up. Instead of just one night, which is what they bargained for, Leah seems to get more time with Jacob. That's because Le Rachel starts to let go of her control of Jacob. Rachel surrendered and renounced her manipulative tendencies and instead submitted to the Lord's will. And we're going to look at how that happens here in this story. But the fact is, after all her ordeals and the results and the poor returns that she got, Rachel's heart seems to be changing. She seems to be saying that I might be fighting something that is way more than I can handle. She seems to be coming to the realization that Leah seems to have an unnatural advantage and she think, and I think she believes and realizes that it's just the Lord's doing and it's futile to fight against the Lord's uh, will in our lives. And therefore, she's, she seems to be picking up on that, and she gives up on her conniving ways. But what does Rachel give up? That's the one thing that she has. If there's one thing that Rachel has that Leah doesn't have, perhaps never will have, was the fact that Jacob loved her. She was the chosen one that Rachel wanted to get married. Through all these infertilities and all that, Jacob's love for her was still strong. He did what she asked him to do. You know, even if that meant doing something wrong to his other wife, Leah, her own sister. So his affection seemed to be firmly in place for Rachel. And in spite of the troubles they have with fertility, Jacob's heart seems to be still with Rachel. And so that's one thing that Rachel always had was that her husband loved her. And she used that to her advantage, tried to use that to her advantage many times. But that's the one thing she lets go of. You know, she had precedence when it came to access to Jacob, but she lets go of that and allows her sister to have normal conjugal rights with Jacob. And that is when God steps in and intervenes on her behalf. If you remember, when we started this story, God wasn't pleased with the attitude of Rachel and Jacob in that they just came off to a side and were doing their thing and ignoring Rachel and Leah and not loving her. And God didn't like that. But by allowing Leah into this relationship, by allowing her to have her natural conjugal rights with her husband, she was turning the tide. She was, in a sense, reconciling with her sister, you know, allowing her and letting go of the hostilities that had plagued them for so many years and just saying, 
it was just the Lord's will, the way things happened. You know, it was not her fault. Uh, it was the way things panned out for her. And she gives up on the one thing that she always had with her uh, was Jacob. And allows Jacob to have a normal relationship with her sister. Immediately, God shows. Let's look at, when we look at chapter 30, verse 22, there's a beautiful line that says, Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. And this is towards the fag end of uh, the chapter on Jacob's children. This is after Leah has nine children. Rachel is finally humbled and submits to the Lord's will. She's tried all she can and she's given up. And in her humility, she approaches the Lord. The text says, the Lord listened to Rachel you know, and he intervened on her behalf. Uh, it wasn't that Rachel never prayed for it. You know, when she has the first kid through Bilhah, she says, the Lord has had pity, he's answered me. But the fact was that God wanted to do something through her life. He wanted her to have a child. You know, it wasn't that her time was over. It was that he wanted to fix an attitude in her life before he would bless her. And he would bless her. And we're going to look at how the, the children that Rachel have are so blessed. And through them, the whole nation, any of our lives today are blessed. But God listens and remembers Rachel. But this happens after she submits to the Lord. And therefore, the lesson we want to learn is, if we, if we want, if, when we want God's blessing in our life, we have to be careful to make sure we are submitting to him in faith. Faith that he can do what only he can do, even if situations and circumstances don't look favorable to us. And uh, that's when God remembers Rachel. The funny thing is, usually in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, whenever there's a marriage and whenever a kid is born, it's preceded by a description of the fact that you know, the husband lies with, with the wife. You know, they, she lays with him or he goes into her and uh, some form of a representation that there was a union there between husband and wife, which resulted in a kid. But when it comes to the, law, the child that Rachel bears, that's completely absent. You know, it, all it says is that the Lord enabled her to conceive. None of the language that we usually see that accompanies a birth of a child in scriptures is there. And the narrator, whoever is writing this, the inspired narrator of this story, wants us to stand up and notice that, you know, it wasn't Jacob or Rachel that result that did something that the child was born. It was God that had seen, and had answered. You see, the problem Rachel had wasn't a biological or genetic problem. It wasn't even a problem with uh, that she had with her relationship with her husband. We've already seen she had a great relationship. The problem she had was with God. She wasn't submitting to him and yielding her life to him and surrendering to him. She thought she could have her way and get the blessings of God by her own strength. But the moment she surrenders and comes under the lordship of the, the surrender and yielded to the lordship of God, she, God opens up her womb and she has a kid. And therefore, you see, the narrator leaves out this clue and says it was the Lord that enabled her to conceive. And uh, that brings us to our application. Our application here is let go and let God bless you. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you see this as a way where people say, just let go of things and let God take control. We are not, I'm not advocating that we be passive. I've already, we've already talked about it. But what it says is that there are some things in our life that only God can accomplish. Each of you have those. We have those issues too. You have those issues which only God can come in and fix. And while we are looking at Rachel's story, if the Lord is able to pinpoint an area in our life where we are, we are, responding in a faithless attitude and trying to fix things on our own instead of relying on him when the problem actually is between us and God, that's when we have to respond and let go of that issue and allow God to move and work. 
a lot of times people think of this issue as in, you know, uh, Christian life is you just, you're in a car, you let go of the steering wheel and, you know, the Lord takes the steering wheel and drives. Uh, it, there are many truths, there are some truths in that, but I wouldn't go that far. You know, when the Bible talks about our spiritual walk, it's a beautiful partnership between man and a God and man. And God wants us to be resourceful, he wants us to be proactive, to use our strength and our, and our minds. He wants us to use our will. He wants us to take advice from people. He wants us to be proactive in doing the things he's called us. But what he does reserve for himself most times is the way in which he wants it. The Bible has clear guidelines how Christians ought to live and how Christians ought to behave and respond and work out God's will for their life. We aren't allowed to be angry or jealous. We are not allowed to manipulate situations to our benefit. We cannot monopolize people, relationships. We cannot control people in an unhealthy, ungodly way to get what we want. Even if, the mo if our motives are and our destination is the right place. Uh, and we see that a lot of times, even in the ministry, where people want to do something for the Lord, but they try to take things into their own hands sometimes, and it results in a lot of confusion. And so when we say let go and let God bless you, I mean let God do what only he can and let him show you the way he wants you to achieve what he has. Those God-given dreams and desires that God has given, he wants you to have them. He wants you to enjoy them. But he, want, he, he has a way to do it. There's a time, there's a place, and there's a method in which he'll accomplish it. And he wants us to trust him in the journey and not be afraid, angry, jealous, or angry anxious while that happens. And that brings us to our conclusion that let, God, let go and let God bless you. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this beautiful time. We just surrender to your word. Like Rachel, Lord, we come to you and say, you can do what only you can do, Lord. And we let go of our anxiety and our stress and any other unhealthy behaviors that we have while we walk this walk, Lord Father, of faith, Lord. And we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would take control of our lives and do what only you can do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.